welcome to another podcast in the series of Wrestling with God. The kind of questions we wrestle with in this series have to do with religion and spirituality. Does religion have any relevance? Does spirituality have any relevance for the modern human and particularly for young people? When we talk about God, what do we mean by the word God? And does that word even have any relevance? What is the place that spirituality, religion should have in our lives? And does it help or does it hurt? To help us wrestle with these questions, I have a very special guest, Pooja Sinha. She is the president of the board at the Assisi Institute in Rochester, New York. She's an ordained Kriya Yoga minister, and she's a very well-rounded person. She has an MBA from the Simon School of Business and a master's in marketing from the Simon School of Business here in Rochester, New York at the University of Rochester. She's also a wife and a mother, has a beautiful son, Ravi, who shines, the light just shines through his eyes, just like it does through his mother's eyes. Mm -hmm. So Pooja, it's wonderful to have us, for you to be with us today. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ishadas, for that introduction. Um, very, very warm and kind. Uh, and I have been at the Assisi Institute, heavily involved with the Assisi Institute for probably going on 15 years now. And I found the Assisi Institute. Um, my, my spirituality, my spiritual journey, I would say started as a child. And every week in growing up in Syracuse, I was going to, um, I grew up Hindu, and we also had a center that we went to following um, a guru in India named Sai Baba. And so we had a center there, and we went on a weekly basis. I grew up going there, going to hear the religious uh, songs, the devotional songs, and then also going to the religious education classes as a, as a child called Balbikas. And I didn't, I went to college at University of Rochester and I, I didn't realize how much I really missed that weekly um, plugging in, in a community and in a way that was more than just the sense of knowing that God is everywhere and, and God is important to me. And I didn't realize how important the ritual of going someplace like that was. So for the first two years of college, you know, you're in college, you're young, you're just sort of, you know, getting your feet wet of being out of the house and you're having a good time with friends. And you have this, when you grow up, I felt like and when the sense of spirituality is that, okay, God's around, but you know, I don't need to plug in all the time. And then when I got, you know, to junior, senior year of college, I started to feel this little bit of um, emptiness around it. And, and really wanting more and not having that community and those people to plug into. And I would go home and visit, you know, to Syracuse and I would try and plan some of my visits. I started planning them so that I was going back on a Sunday morning before taking, you know, that hour and a half trip ride here. Um, but I really was missing having something regular close to me and a community and a group of people that are getting together to be with God. And so I found the Assisi Institute through someone I was working out with. And they said, you know, we were chatting about spirituality and I was asking her about what the churches she goes to. And she said, well, you know, the way that you grew up, you might really like the Assisi Institute. And I said, okay, I'll give it a, I'll give it a go. And so on a Thursday night, 
and I'll never forget this. I was walking down the hall in the old building at Blossom Road, and it's this beautiful building with all these interesting artistry and, and things like that in it. And you're walking down the hall and I was looking at some of the artwork and I suddenly, a few steps into the hallway, remember getting hit with the sense of incense. The same incense I grew up smelling. I can't make it through the story. Um, the same incense I grew up smelling every week and in my home. And I'm walking and I get to where the entrance is. And I heard the Gayatri. And that is the most sacred, most beautiful Hindu chant that I grew up chanting every Sunday. And I just had this overwhelming sense of coming home. And so I've been plugged in ever since. And it was just this wonderful experience from that point forward. And, uh, and I remember in the very beginning, I would stay for the service and then I'd leave before the talk. Do you remember that? And you'd often say like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started getting, you know, cause I was young and it was a Thursday night and I wanted to be out. <laughs> so you would always poke at me and be like, oh, I saw you today or I didn't see you last time, you know? And I just, I, I remember thinking, even when you would acknowledge my presence there, oh, someone, someone knows me here. Someone sees me here. I feel important. And I just wanted more and more. And so I started coming on a regular basis. Um, and it's just been such an incredible journey of growth for me since then. That's, that's, that's wonderful. You used the phrase plug into. So when you talk about spirituality, Pooja, what is it that you're plugging into? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, For, for me, when I talk about plugging into, there's a general, I would say there's a general background of, in my, in my view of spirituality, it's that contact within myself that is a place of stillness, that is a place of quietness. And plugging into that is sort of like, I think I've read it, it described like this and it's a great description, taking your you know, five volt line of energy and of silence and of inspiration and plugging it into a hundred volt source. Mm. And almost like recharging, almost like that place of quiet stillness is the time, you know, you spend your whole day. I, like you mentioned, there's a lot of busyness in my life, right? I mean, I'm, I have a full-time job. Um, I'm plugged into the Assisi Institute. I have a son, I have a husband, I have a family. Uh, as we speak, I'm with, with my extended family. Um, and you give a lot, you know, you give, you have a lot of obligations, you give a lot, you give, give, give. And, that time of plugging in for yourself is just you. There's no other obligation but you and God, and that is it. And everything else can fall away. And so it's that time to me that I carve out just for my space, just for me 
so that I can do the other things in a loving, grounded way, as opposed to getting really stressed. And not to say I don't get stressed, but having that source to plug into opens up a grounding that I can't find anywhere else. All right, so let me, I wanna pick up on something you said, because everything you said really is profound. You talked about kind of getting to that stillness inside, that quietness. And I think implied in what you said is that it's more than just being quiet. Yeah. That there that there's a quality to the to the silence. There's a quality yes. and a depth to the stillness. Yes. And then you said it's like plugging into you know a hundred volt um, source of of energy. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how do you know when you are plugged into that energy, that hundred volt, a hundred volts of energy, or maybe another way of saying it, or a parallel question is, what is the, what are the qualities of that hundred volt charge? Yeah, that's a, that's also a great question. You should ask. I think there's two ways that I can answer that. There is in the silence or in the plugging in period that I do in the meditation itself, and I think this happens over time when you start meditating is you still have thoughts that come up. You still have, they call it the monkey mind. You still have the mind wanting to, to think about things, but there's a sense of that's happening. Your mind may be doing whatever it's doing, but there's just such a deep sense of relaxation and peace and expansiveness when you get to that place of your mind can do whatever it wants to do. You're not going to engage with it in that moment. You're going to focus on your breathing, on your third eye. And most importantly for me, what happens for me is I really sit in what Yogananda has described as your own soul's love for spirit. That always just takes me deeper and deeper into that experience of plugging in because it's not something that I can mentally or physically orchestrate. My soul's love for spirit is a completely different dimension that I can only get to when I sit and force my mental and physical capacity to be there. And then it sort of emerges as I'm sitting there after doing you know, a rosary, the Gayatri, the mantras, it sort of transitions my body and mind to become more quiet so that my soul's love of spirit can actually emerge. Wow, <laughs> where, do I, where do I begin? So again, so much depth in what you're saying. Let, let me just, start here. I just want to unpack a little bit of, uh, of what you just said. You talked about the soul's longing for spirit. And, and I think this is an important point. We all have that longing for something bigger than ourselves. We all have that longing for something transcendent. You know, there's this, uh, we see this in, in our modern culture, 
and, and I know there are still lots of people mired in poverty, don't misunderstand me, but I don't think any time in recorded world history has, has there been so much material blessings, material um, prosperity, and yeah. yet yeah. we have an epidemic of depression and anxiety because there's a longing that we have in our soul that's right that things cannot fulfill and and that's you know i think so when you said that that your soul's longing for something bigger we all have it but we don't recognize it and and the tendency i think again in modern culture is that if we can find the right person to be married to that will be fulfilled if we get the right job and all of those things are important at a relative right. level but there's a hunger and a longing within us for something bigger than us. And you, you tap into that is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. 100%. I think that's what, that's what meditation and silence and sort of unplugging your senses for a period actually allows you to do because it's always there. Yes. We're just, we're just not aware of it. And when we become aware of it, the, the, the joy and the, the peace and the um, bliss that you pull from that when you become aware of it is just, it almost feels like I'm limiting those words and even speaking them because it's not truly something that I can put in words. Yes. It's something yes. so much bigger. Yes. Well, I just want to pick up on that, that, that when we start talking about truly spiritual concepts, spiritual experiences, mystical experiences, words are inadequate yeah and and even the word god what i tell people is the word god is a pointer it points to a mystery it points to an experience that can't be put into words but because we're human beings and we use words and we have these mental maps but that you know people will say to me well what do you mean by god and ultimately i can't say what i mean yeah yeah. In the ultimate sense, because it transcends all concepts, yet the word God does point to a reality that you're describing. That it's so true, Isha Das. I think there's, it's recently that I've started to realize, just in the last few months, that my, my human understanding, God is just such a mystery. My human understanding can only take me this this far i can see this much because of being a human being and having these needs to sense things with your senses and and just plugging into this deeper place takes my need to put god in a box away yes and and there is no words there it's and that's why i love how how yogananda used to always say you don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to take my word for it. Go and go and meditate yourself. It is, it is about you and your soul's love for spirit. I cannot teach you that. You could read all the books in the world. You are not going to get to the same place as a true spiritual practice that can take you all the way. That is, there's no substitute. You know, my, uh, I, I've had this, mentor he's a catholic priest he's a franciscan priest richard Rohr, and i love the way he says it he says that god is a mystery that is endlessly knowable yes and my understanding of that is again it's beyond words 
but that intuitively, yeah. you know, in the Western world, we're so scientifically oriented and science is good. Don't misunderstand me, but there's a way of knowing something that transcends pure logic and transcends what the five senses can measure and yes. comprehend. And we call it intuition that we can know things by direct experience. Yes. And so God is this mystery that is endlessly knowable and inexhaustible. Yeah. There's always, there's always yeah. another level that opens up to us. Yet one of the things that Yogananda said, for example, is that there's always another level of stillness and then another mm -hmm. level of stillness beyond that level. So that there's no end to our discovery of this mystery we refer to as God. It goes on for eternity, always yeah. unfolding deeper and deeper layers. But again, we get there intuitively. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the words and all the theology, even the best theology, they point to the forest, but they're not the forest. And the forest yeah. is endlessly vast, infinitely vast and endless. And we have to make the journey through the silence, through the meditation yeah. into the forest. So let me, let me ask you this question. Some people might be listening and they're saying, okay, but how, does those, how do those moments of silence, stillness, intimacy with spirit, how does that help you in your day-to-day -day life as mother, wife, um, professional worker, et cetera? Yeah, yeah that's, uh, it's funny you were saying that because I was just thinking I didn't answer the second part of that stillness and, and how you experience that. Um, I would say that I mean, the most practical example that I can give is that before I go into a meeting where I have to present something and it's a room full of director level, higher level people within my company and I can sit in nerves, right? And I have nerves, there's good nerves. Um, but before I go into that, to truly feel like my brain is working at the best capacity it can work at. And there's so much clinical evidence just for the amazing effects that meditation has on our nervous system. Just from that perspective, when I go into something like that and I take, I'll always carve out, I'll block my calendar for 10 minutes before that to go and sit in silence. And yes, I probably, I, I mean, most of the time because my practice is so closely tied to an understanding and a presence of something divine, I will pray as well. But the biggest thing is that going into that space, plugging in changes how my brain waves are activating. And it helps me feel less stressed. It helps me feel more focused. It gives me clarity of thought and clarity of mind so that when I go into meetings like that, I can, respond and react and present in a way that is very clear, that is very um, present. And I have the capacity to then answer questions without some of my nervousness and other emotional muck getting in the way. And the same is true, I would say, of my parenting. And this is where um, it's really, it's such a fine line and such a fine dance because after a full day of work, of practicing and after making dinner and after my son comes home also tired, um, you know, he's five, tantrums still happen. He, I mean, he's, he's learning about his big feelings. He's learning about his emotions. And 
the capacity that I have to sit with him when he's having big feelings and being, we're having a contentious place of, I don't wanna eat my dinner or I don't wanna do something else. The capacity that I have and the empathy that I can feel for him to help him understand his own feelings and work through a resolution with some boundaries around his emotions uh, or boundaries around his options um, comes from that inner well of silence. And when I'm not doing that, when I'm not giving myself that internal space to put my own stuff aside and be fully with another person who needs the guidance, right? He's only five, he needs the guidance. When I'm not doing that, it comes out as being short with him, being, you know, stressed around him. He's even said, he's like, mommy, why are you so grumpy? <laughs> so I, I need to remember when I hear that, that's a signal that I need to plug back into that source for a few minutes. And he's gotten used to me saying, okay, I need a few minutes, I gotta breathe. And, and we do some breathing around that. But what it means, Ishadas, is what I'm trying to say is, it, it gives me an alignment and a clarity. You know, we talk about truth, beauty, and goodness. It keeps me in a place of loving awareness and groundedness, where it's not like I've become nothing, and my ego has just gone away and I'm just this floating you know, entity. No, I'm very much aware of who I am and how I react to things. And I can bring my intelligence to situations, but my um, ability to hold space and to truly not be reactive comes from the pause that meditation can give. Meditation and, and plugging into that source can give you that pause that I think is harder to do when you have a lot of stressors in your little hemisphere, in your globe. That's, that's perfect. You know, there's a, there's a quote from Yogananda I like. He said that whatever, what you experience in meditation bring with you into activity, and that's what you're doing. Yes. It, it's, it's by remembering and bringing, bringing it into activity, the metaphor I like to use, you're bringing heaven and earth together in your life. Uh, it's funny what you said about Ravi. I have two sons. They're 42 and one will be 37 now. So they're a little bit older than Ravi. But when they were growing up, sometimes they would say to me, Dad, did you meditate today? We think you need to go and meditate. <laughs> from the mouths of children, right? From the mouths of babe. So yes. let me kind of switch, not switch gears, but take it in this direction. If I, if I memory serves me right, Pooja, you are a first generation Indian American raised in a Hindu household. Yes. And at the Assisi Institute, we really work hard to integrate East and West, specifically the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and the Kriya Yoga tradition, and then the mystical tradition and teachings of Jesus. Yes. So as a born and bred Hindu, <laughs> what, what is the, how has that been for you uh, to bring those two worlds together? That's a, um, I, I love that question because the way that, the way that Yogananda and the Assisi Institute approaches the Hindu philosophy as well as with the mystical Christianity is just so aligned. There isn't, there really isn't, yes, you could say, different people said it, right? Jesus said it versus, versus Krishna said it, but there's such a synergistic message 
in how to practice the presence of God and how to live with your dharma, right? How to, how to live with a sense of duty, how to practice your presence of God, how to align yourself with truth, beauty, and goodness. The stories are different. The Mahabharata, Arjuna, the story of Arjuna, there's so much depth there. Um, and yet there are parables in the Bible that I think pull so many of the similar themes together that you see in the Hindu scriptures. And so there is just such a beautiful way that it just kind of melds in into this, this approach toward divinity that never felt like, oh, I'm sitting here in the temple as a Hindu person and I'm listening to a talk about Jesus. This doesn't quite fit. It all fits so well when we approach it through the lens of mystical Christianity and what the Hindu yogic philosophy has always taught because the Hindu religion, it's a little bit different than the Hindu yogic philosophy. And the yogic philosophy has that mystical depth to it, similar to what you would find in you know, Catholicism. That's a little bit different than mystical Christianity. So the, the mystical parts of it and the, what I really love about it is that it's all about you and your personal relationship to the divine. And it's not about, um, it, it's not about dogma in, in a lot of ways. It's about you and what you experience and what you take with you in your time in understanding the divine, whether it's the readings, whether it's the meditations, and it just becomes so personal. And I love that about it. Yeah, that's perfect. You know, I think I have so many thoughts about this particular theme here, this sub theme. Let me just start here. We live in a world that is so tribal um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and in some ways becoming more tribal than less tribal, at least yes. on, on, on one level. And and I, I think if planet Earth is going to survive, and I'm very hopeful that we will survive, but if it's gonna be dependent on not all of us becoming the same, it's not about right. forming one world religion, but it is about recognizing in a spiritual context that we're truly all drinking from the same well. We may describe the water a little bit differently uh, we may put different rituals around the drinking of the water, the, the living water, but we're really all drinking from the same well. So it's not like we all have to join one religion, but to recognize at the core of the world's religion is this mystical element, this experience, this encounter yeah. with the divine. Yeah. And if we can begin to appreciate that and, and come together and in a sense, bow before the divinity in each other, then I think that that takes us away from tribalism yeah. and, and helps us to realize that we are really one. And I agree with you. You know, my background is heavily Christian and Catholic, and I have a graduate degree in, in biblical studies. And when I started reading the Bhagavad Gita, which I think is probably the, the, the most sacred uh, of the of the Hindu scriptures right now, that the parallels were amazing, number one. Yeah. And number two, where there are some nuances of difference, they're not, they're not contradictory, they're complementary. 
mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. and and they together they bring a fullness. And just at a at another level too is, I remember and I've had this experience a couple times meeting Hindu swamis, Hindu monks, uh, such as Swami Nirvanananda and Swami Pragyananda. They're both from the Kriya tradition. Meeting them, and I just knew they were saints. And I remember that opened my eyes and that it's not just, there goes man's best friend. Um, it's not just Christians who produce saints, but Hindus produce saints and Buddhists produce saints because we're all drinking from the same well. So again, the recognition of that is, is just so important. And you play a big part in that uh, at the Assisi Institute. So as, as we move Puja towards a wrap up, just a couple of more questions. If someone said to you, Pooja, what do you mean by the word God? Mm. I know we touched on it a little bit before, but just to, to go a little bit deeper, what do you mean by the word God? And, and let me just put it in a context. I talk to a lot of people who have kind of a, a belief in God in some way, shape, or form, but it's almost static. And If our religion, if our belief in God is going to really impact us and then by extension impact the world, we have to see that whatever we mean by God, it's something dynamic. It's a force, a force of love, a force of truth, beauty, and goodness. So tell me when you hear the word God or somebody said to you, Pooja, what do you mean by the word God? What would you say? Hmm. That is, um, that's a big question, Nishadas. And we got time. <laughs> um, I like that you use the words, the word force. It's, in my experience, it's a dynamic, ever present, ever available force that is always moving through the universe and through us. And so it's not, it's not someone sitting in a throne in the sky somewhere making all the rules. It is, um, there's representations like the gurus and the avatars who to me fully embody that force and become that personally knowable entity who you can look to in times of needing guidance, whom you can look to in times of showing you the way, but they also aren't it. They embody it. And as I sort of said earlier, I mean, it's still, there's still a level of mystery to what God truly is, but what I know is the experience of what I feel God is, is when I know I am aligned with truth, beauty, goodness, and love in the world. When, I'm, when that is my compass that I'm bringing into the world, that's sort of the force of God in creation to me is that truth, beauty, and goodness, and that love 
and and it's bigger than that too it's in everything it's in the spirit of the trees it's in the spirit of our body it's in the spirit it's, i mean it's spirit on some level that enlivens everything around us i mean the table in front of me the vibration of matter all of that it's it, it's funny to me that there's all this also this you know school of thought of science and spirituality or science and religion being so different there's so much science in the mystical understanding of God, you know, the, the, the energy and the vibrations and the matter and everything coming from this bigger source of God. So I don't think I'm providing any clarity in this moment. Because no, I'm, you're giving, giving a great answer. There's just so much, there's so much, it's all encompassing. And it's also entirely personal that that spirit within us aligns with that greater spirit of creation. And you go out into the, you know, you take a walk down the road and you see a tree and right now you can see a tree and you look at it and you're like, oh, that kind of looks like the nerves in our body. It's the same map, right? There's so many connections. They found a meteorite and they were able to see that every element in that meteorite is basically the elements of earth. So clearly we came from elsewhere. Our bodies came from this cosmic stuff and God's force of creation is just constantly moving among us, around us, inside us. And my experience of, of God and divinity is an open, a very open, loving heart. And when I'm not in that open, loving heart place, if I turn and give myself that love, all of a sudden I'm back into that open, loving heart. So when I'm super stressed and I think about a guru or I think about God and I think about what would they do for me right now, it takes me back into that place of being able to align with the truth, beauty, and goodness that is God. Yes. There's two words that you use. I just want to underscore um, spirit and personal. Hmm. And it's interesting. I tell people this in the Hebrew and in the Greek Hebrew, the Jewish Bible, the Greek, and the, the Christian New Testament, the word for spirit is also at the same time the word for breath and wind. And you just think mm. of breath and wind. Breath gives life, right? There's no there's no life without breath. So the yes. spirit is spirit is this enlivening presence. And yeah. wind, it's a force. <laughs> it's right. A and so spirituality is really jumping into this 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 life-giving breath this life-giving spirit not just biologically but psychologically emotionally on every level metaphysically it's it's jumping into the stream of life and then you use the word personal and you know people will say to me and you use this in what you were saying that you know god is not a little man a little woman sitting on a throne god is not a person in that sense mm -hmm. and what i say is at one level you're right god is not a person but yet god is personal mm -hmm. and so to pick again to pick up on what you said when we pray when we open ourselves when we avail ourselves whether it's directly or through one of the kriya gurus one of the avatars we do it does elicit a response yes this yes. spirit this breath of life that really is is the love of god in time and space permeating everything it responds to us that's why, you know, Jesus said, seek and you shall find, ask and it yes. shall be given to you, knock yes. and the door shall be open. So even God, so even though God isn't this, again, little person sitting on a throne, yeah, 
and God's not a person in that sense. We're right. going to have a whole philosophical discussion on what do we mean by personhood, but that's a, for another time. But yet God is personal. This mystery does respond to our overtures and our openness. I completely agree. I completely agree. And, you know, Shada, something else comes to mind, if I could just say something, especially for the young people listening, um, because I have heard this within my own friend circles. I've heard this from, from people before in that religion or spirituality has this um, element of people that are truly religious or spiritual using it as a coping strategy for life right? And, and it's a coping mechanism and that's what they do and they need an explanation for all things. And that's, that's when they feel helpless, they go to that. There can be an element of that. In my, in my opinion, there can be an element of that. However, even Patanjali's sutras have outlined and talked about that using spirituality and religion only as a coping mechanism doesn't get you that far. And so Patanjali, I love, I love that Patanjali in whatever time they think he was alive, right? 400 BC, almost introduced this idea of our own psychology being very important as we go on our journey. Because there's an element in which we have to be willing to look at all the corners of ourselves and all of the ways in which we have become maladaptive in our lives and bring God's light and consciousness to that, to elevate ourselves and to truly reflect that truth, beauty and goodness, especially in, in the lives of ourselves and the people around us when some of us have traumatic histories and things that have made us be reactive, be a certain way that closes us off to that higher ability to live. And I love that the sutras have, have, have talked about and Yogananda talks about that if you have these things in your life, these things in your psychology, these things in your mentality, bring your spirituality to that as well because it needs to shift if you're gonna go deeper. And I think that's just so important because it's not just a coping strategy, it's an enriching your life. If you truly want to live after, if you've had a traumatic childhood, if you've had some sort of things happen in your life, it's not about just coping and getting through, it's about living the divine life. And to do that, you can do that when you start to pause in your reactivity, when you start to pause and plug in, when you start to break yourself of those patterns, of those neuroplastic pathways that are constantly there, the brain is learning always. And so there's the big expansiveness of God, but that personal sense of it that can bring you to a higher place of living is also available. And it's not just about coping with life. It's about living a really rich life. Yeah, I'm sure that there are many people listening, and I put myself in this category, who had traumatic childhoods and, and carry some of that trauma with, still carry that trauma within them. And I think you're just, the point you're making is so relevant that I'm gonna say it a little bit differently. Spirituality is not an escape 
but what it does is it's opening our hearts and our minds and our psychic psychological patterns yes etc it's opening yes. them to to truth beauty and goodness to light and to love and then that becomes the sort of the is that light and love then has an alchemical trans transformative effect on our psychology and yes. in the moment it's not always pleasant because you mm -mm. because mm -mm. when you're sitting in that silence and you open yourself to that light you begin to see what's yeah. happening inside of you and some of it yeah. is wonderful and some of it is painful not, and uncomfortable yeah. and some of it is not always great yeah um, but if, if we can allow that light and that love to penetrate into yeah sort of our spiritual and psychological DNA, it really begins to transform it. And then the very consciousness of God becomes integrated into our interior self, into our personal selves, into our hearts and our souls. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so, you know, I spirituality, love how you said that. Yeah. spirituality is not an aspirin that we take that takes away it elevates us and transforms us. And again, in the middle, it's not always pleasant. Yes. But but it's it transforms us. Again, I'll I'll, I'll paraphrase something Richard Rohr said to me many many years ago. He said, if occasionally you're not feeling the earthquake beneath your feet, then you're not in the flow of God. That occasionally God will will bring about the force of God, the force of God's love will bring about an interior earthquake, but that's just opening us up to more light and love yeah. and more light and love into the depths of our psyche, which yeah. is the transformative process. Pooja, this is, we could go on forever and ever. I just, this I just love how you said that, Isha, that's all of that is just so, so true. And, you know, the, the, um, the thing, the thing that came to mind when you said it's not always roses or it's not, you know, I'm paraphrasing now, but the, the thing that it does do for me, especially because I identify with that group too, um, it, what it does do is in the work, it also gives me a hand to hold. Wow. Yes. It's not about coping and numbing and get away, getting away from it. It's about transforming and healing in a totally different way. Not about taking away the wounds, but elevating and healing. And it gives me, it's like that child about to face something really scary, just holding on to the hand of this all-powerful knowing guru or God figure to know I'm not alone, to know I'm there because of the inner sense that meditation can give you, that inner yeah, sense yeah. that divinity can give you of knowing, okay, this is really going to hurt, but I got this, yes. you know, it's, it's that. Well, you know, I, I say this to people and it's just been my own experience. I have my wounds from life, from my childhood. Yeah. And when we face the wounds, with the support of other people and with the support of God and gurus and the saints that walk with us. When we face those wounds, they really become portals in, into portals into grace, into light, right. into truth, into beauty, into goodness, and they're transformative. Pooja, this has been a fascinating conversation. I want you to promise me at some point we will have part two of this conversation. I would love that. I would love that. All right. So I want to thank you very much and just to remind you that you are a bright light in the world. Thank you for all that you do at the Assisi Institute. And for those of you that are tuning in and listening, if you're listening um, on YouTube, please give it a like, please subscribe, please forward it to a friend.
we come out with these Wrestling With God podcasts every other week. So please, uh, we really want this to grow. So like it, send your questions and, and forward things to forward them to a friend. Again, Pooja, thank you. You have a wonderful day with your family. Tell your husband I said hello and Ravi I said hello. Thank Namaste. God, God bless you. Namaste. Thank you. This was wonderful.